0: Oh. Akhandataka Bodhaka Rakyam Mahabhakyam or Jiveshwara Yoga Aikya. That which shows aikya bakya is called Mahabhakya. Between Jiva, the one who feels I am just this lowly individual and the god and Ishvara. Note that in the Mahabhakva the No, it is between Jiva and Ishvara. Because that smallness and the feeling of being bound in samsara only goes when one is one reclaims one identity as Ishwara. And we saw how the chapters one to six elucidate the uh, the meaning of the word you. In other words, because the teacher is saying you. So one takes it as I. So the I, what is this I? That which is not just the body-mind-sense complex, that which is much more than that, that which indwells the body-mind-sense complex, which is separate from it and yet which is dwelling within the body-mind-sense complex, that i emotion which sometimes feels afflicted and sometimes it doesn't. So this is what is... Talked about, and and in the first six chapters, this I is delineated as separate from the body-mind-self complex. Something to discover, something to understand as the truth of myself. Without having which truth, my life is much more truncated, abridged, edited. Because I'm always feeling. A sense of anxiety and a sense of lack. This is what was seen. And then in the first six chapters also, I also talked about how the usual definition of the I as body, mind, sense, senses, and then doer. And then what else? Doer means guilty. He was also going to die. The nature of Bhagavan was also unfolded from a two-fold standpoint, one from the essential nature of Bhagavan. What is the essential in the nature of Bhagavan? That which exists, asti, and then what? That which is self-evident, you know, bhati, and that which is limitless, you know, you can say priya, if you are following that asti bhati priya, or you can say satyam jnanam anantam or you can say Sat Chit Ananda. This is what the essential Swarupa of Bhagavan is. When you take off the robes of all might, all knowledge, all power, all resources, what is what is the. Who is wearing these robes? It is Sat Chit Ananda. And when you take off the robes of the Jiva, who, who is in misery all the time, this miserable cloak that the Jiva is wearing, of one's own guilt and hurt, when you take that off, what remains is that witness alone which resolves into Satchit anna. So all there is is anna. And so verse, from the chapters 13 to 18, I'm just going to do a quick, uh, you know, since we have already done it, 1 to 12, it seems not fair to leave these last six out. So I'm going to give a little bit of it gist of what we can expect to find there before launching into the 13th chapter. So, what we can expect to find in 13 to 18 is the, is the how-to. How is the Tath and Dwaram? How are they one? How do I understand my oneness with God? What is the process? What is the process? Don't worry, you did not miss anything. We are just uh, recapping what happened yesterday, that's all. What is the process by which I I can assimilate this knowledge? What are the things I have to have in myself in terms of attitudes, in terms of values, in terms of... Discipline so that I can assimilate this knowledge? What do I have to cultivate so that this knowledge speaks to me? Because you know, something everybody wants freedom, but really speaking, very few desire knowledge. You know, because that connection is not made that this freedom and the knowledge go together. Because the freedom is not something you are seeking already you. It is the sort. The freedom that you see is already there. Therefore, I have to know that I am already free. This much sometimes people are not able to make this connection. So they desire freedom all right. In other words, they are the desirers of freedom, but they don't see the connection between freedom and knowledge. They think freedom is something to be gained in time, when you know that whatever is gained in time, what happens to it? It is lost in time also. This is what the things is. So therefore, we have, you know, chapters 13 to 18, talking about the nature of Bhagavan, this contradictory nature, the so seemingly contradictory nature. One is we are the essential Swarupa, we talked about that, Sat Chit Ananda. Bhagavan is, in fact, is the source of all things that claim to have existence. It is the Is of all Is's. Bhagavad, you know. Every Is resorts into Ishvara. What are the first two letters of Ishvara? Is. Is. See, this is how to it. And so, this is what we say that it is the source of all existence. Everyone is borrowing the Is-ness, so to speak, from Bhagavad. Everything in this universe. Is borrowing this isness. Then, what is this isness in the form of? Is it a dead is or is it a sentient is? Because you can also say, you know, table is insentient, right? But what about Bhagavan? No. So, sentient is. How do you know? Sentient. You know? How do you know that Bhagavan is sentient? Why not Bhagavan is, you know? Because he is because sentient. Because I am sentient. Yeah. Because I am sentient and that sentient conscious being is the storehouse of all knowledge without needing a mind. This is very important. No mind. Because if you have a mind you have to say never mind. That's what. Sooner or later it gives way. And the mind is a treasure trove of other pleasures and all kinds of wrong thoughts and ideas and fears and tears. So Bhagavad is knowledge that self-effulgent knowledge, the conscious being which exists, when you say being it exists, and then which is all knowledge. All knowledge. And when we say all knowledge, it's slightly different from I saying, I have knowledge of this love. Here the knowledge is broken up into I the knower and the object which is known. Correct? So, but here when we say Bhagavan is all knowledge, where the knower-known distinctions are superimposed as it were upon that knowledge, which in itself is free of knower and known. How can that be? Because the knower is a status in relation to the known. When there are two entities, the knower springs as a, as a temporary status in relation to the object, the flower. When there is no flower, am I still the lower? Yes. You can say yes, maybe you are the knower of that flower, maybe you are the knower of fruit, maybe you are the knower of the computer, maybe you are the knower of the mind, Let's say nothing else was there. Would I still be the knower? No. I won't be the knower because there is nothing else to so know. Correct? So that is what we are talking about and I want to be the known because I am not an object. So that knowledge, so when we talk about non-duality, this no or no distinction must not be there. In fact, the no or no distinction is not there, it's all as though. In Vedanta, one handy word we should know, as though. Yeah. Another thing we should know, what is it? Part and Potenti. What else? Potenti. <laughs> <laughs> These three things, if you know, you'll be very famous in all your parties. Yeah? You know? If somebody complains, you don't even have to listen to them. You can say, you know, this is all as though. <laughs> they will not invite you to the next party. <laughs> it's a risk you will have to take, you see. Or you may gain some followers. So therefore you know this. No more, no. You know, only when there is something to know I become the knower, correct? Right? In sleep am I the knower? No. That's all I'm saying. And so with, so in from the standpoint of Bhagavan being all knowledge, the knower is an as though imposition on superimposition of on this knowledge. The known is an as though superimposition because all the things that are here are as though, as though, as though, as though, as though. So just like from the same, you know, from the same milk you take out, you know, one third and you make ghee. And you take out the next third and you make some chash, you know, buttermilk. And you take out the next third and you make some curds yogurt. But speaking, it is all milk, correct? Yeah. Undifferentiated and then the differentiated. Except, this is not such a good example. Because, you know, you cannot turn them back. If you clap your hands, the, the, curds, the yogurt will not turn back to milk. So what should we do? We look into another example. You know, this is an ancient example. But another better one is still there. Out of the same bowl, what do you do? You make earring, you make nose ring, you make finger ring. Now. Yeah. Now the bell rings. Wow. Now, you say, I don't have time for all this. I'm not going to read, refund you the banking charges. He's, he only sees gold. Like even a Vedantin sees only Brahman. You know, everywhere, this fellow, our local jeweler, sees only gold. Like that. So, all there is this knowledge. That is what is called chit, You know, or Jnana, it is called. That knowledge which is undifferentiated between lower ground, subject, object, It is just knowledge itself. And how do I know this? Because yesterday I asked you a question. What did I say? When you say I don't know, how do you know that you don't know? Correct? You have to say I know that I don't know. It's that knowledge that never negates as I I don't know. That's what it is. It's all knowledge. Then this existence and knowledge which is what boundless, timeless existence, Time less knowledge, limit less existence, limit less knowledge, therefore it is called anantam. Satyam is jnanam, all knowledge, undifferentiated knowledge, and then anantam, limitlessly so. Very easy, not, not difficult at all. So then, what you know, this from the standpoint of Brahman, this is the definition. From the standpoint of the individual, when you take away the ragadveshas, when you take away the doom, right? when you take away the complainer, right? when you take away the, the one who is saying, why me? When you take away all the agent and the victim and everything, what remains means is, again, sir, I exist. Do you exist or not? Yes. 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 Very good. Yeah. And then, <laughs> do you know you exist? Yes. yes. You can't say, I exist, but I don't know. You can't say that. Unless there is some problem, correct? Right? Yeah. And then, you know, who wants to not exist, please raise their hand. See, nobody is raising their hand. This shows that the desire to be is that anantyam is already built But with reference to the individual, it is called satshit ananda. Why ananda? Because that's what we know, that's what we want nobody wants to die you know nobody even a mosquito doesn't want to die that's why it bites you when it's when you are not looking because when you are looking if it bites it will, it will get instant moksha by your hand yeah so therefore you know it will it will bite when no one is looking so this shows that the desire to be forever is inbuilt into all species Human being is not an exception. But since I don't know that I already am forever, I'm searching the forever because there is this desire for the forever, and I'm forever searching for the forever. Okay? This is my problem. I come in front because some people in the back are feeling a little cramped. Move forward, please. Really. There is room on this side. Much better. Thank you. So, this is the format that one is desirous of. I always want to be. And this desire to always be is translated as happiness. Because if one is sad, nobody wants to be always. Yeah. When one is sad, one wants to so sad that there is no hope of becoming happy, let us say. If that person is convinced, that person doesn't want to be always. That person wants to jump off something. So the desire to be is linked to happiness because that happiness is what one is always searching. Searching everywhere except where it is, centered on I. So searching for it everywhere. So therefore, the concept of ananta we don't understand. Ananta means something that is hanging around in time for a long time. Like a guest who refuses to leave. Sometimes this happens, you know. Guest becomes pest. This is a very small line. <laughs> and you know, being from the Indian culture, you can't ask them also. Because Atithi Devo Bhak, correct? And so they come. And you're trying to look at their suitcase to see how long they'll stay. (laughs) Maybe the size of the suitcase will tell me it is ek hafta, do hafta, how long they will stay. But the suitcase also is not giving many clues. But you can't ask, because the courtesy demands, that you don't ask uh, when are you going? Because you know the guest is a form of Ishvara that one has to assimilate. You know, and welcome. The guest doesn't mean someone who takes an appointment and comes. Atithi means the one who comes and drops in without a date. Tithi, no atithi, atithi. Yeah, comes in without telling that they are coming. So here, somebody has showed up. They are there. They are there. They are there. And then what? Then you look at the suitcase. No clue. And then you give a few more hints. Like you say, it would be nice if you were staying for our daughter's graduation, we would have loved to have you... Dot And then the guest says, oh, I am definitely planning to be there. And that's two months away. So by this time, you know, okay, you know, and then after that, you say some few other things, You try to find some other, you know, maybe Diwali would have been wonderful. or or we are planning to go away for Diwali, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of the house and the plants and the pets. (laughs) (laughs) So this is our concept of ananta, something that hangs around in time for a long time, something unwanted, like a chronic condition, like something, you know, I'm eternally suffering backache, people will talk like this. We don't have a concept of eternity, because our concept of eternity is is stuck in a time time-space matrix. So therefore the Upanishad and the Shruti have said out of great, uh, what is that called, love, uh, for us, like a, like a loving mother, has converted the word ananta, limitless, because ye toh amare bas ki hai, to understand limitless, to ananda, what I really want to have. So when you say ananda, then everybody, up. everybody smiles, big smile comes. All 32 come out, no we should say 28 in this country. Yeah, so everything comes out. Why? Because this is already known. And somehow I know that I want to be this always. But even in the happiness there is Anand here. Because nobody says I want to be happy for 5 minutes or less. How, how long do you want to be happy? Huh? Forever this, forever is there, that is anantyam. Satchir ananda, from the standpoint of the individual, when you take away all the variables, body is a variable or not, say yes, yes so we can yes, move yes, on. Yes. We want to think about this. <laughs> yeah. Already it has changed, because in the time that you have sat here, you have undergone a cellular regeneration. Definitely, so many cells have died. Yeah. Hopefully, not brain cells. <laughs> <laughs> that is my brain. So, <laughs> so, this is what it is. So, the body is variable or not? Yes. yes. What about the mind? Yes. Mind yes. is also variable. Senses are yes. also variable. Everything that I can objectify is variable. The one who is objectifying is invariable, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, this is what we have to see that the invariable is is to be discovered as the only definition of the word Aham, I, through this knowledge. So this is the, the first definition of both Jiva and Ishvara. Satchit, is ananda when you remove the variables. And on the Ishvara side also there are some variables. Ishvara hood is there you. Why? Because we have something called laya. What is laya? In between cycles of creation, everything is resolved into that. Knowledge is there, you know, you know the 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 all knowledge is there, but it is not projected into names and forms. Everything is a potential. It's an encapsulated Ishvara, a seed form of Ishvara. Whereas this is a flowering form of Ishvara with the Jagat. Without the Jagat, it just goes into a causal seed form. All knowledge is there, Satyam Jnana Manantam alone is there, everything is there, but Maya Shakti is also there and it is just waiting to come out, but it is in in repose. So, this is what you know, the variable aspects. What are the variable aspects from Ishvara's side? All the bling, the glitter, yeah, yeah. What is that, you know, Jagat Karta, the creator of the universe. The creator is also a dualistic definition. In relation to what? The created. The creator of the universe, the manifester of the universe, the projector of the universe, the sustainer of the universe. Only when there is something to sustain, gets the epithet, sustainer. The resolver of the universe, when there is something to resolve, resolver. Then also, you know, small, small forms and functions. You know, what else? Uh, You know, the one who is the remover of obstacles, Vignarta, and in the form of a blessing presence, Shambhu, the one who is all pervasive, Mahavishnu. Like this, we have so many things that have to do, that are relational with with the, you know, keeping in view, the universe. You know, it's just like the king and the man at the palace gates, the sentry. The king has a uniform, right? All crown and everything, the scepter and, you know, Swore, everything is there. So many things are there. Sitting on the throne and people are fanning all these paraphernalia that's associated with king. Not Indian Maharajas, no. They have nothing except the title. And already tells one story, he was asked to go and inaugurate one library. And he, he went in the Maharaja of that particular place was also invited to come to this. And they said, Swamiji reached early and they said, please wait, we have to wait for the Maharaja to come and Swamiji said, of course. And he kept on looking at the road, thinking, one car will come. But one cycle rickshaw came. You know? You know cycle rickshaw? What is cycle rickshaw? Like a three-wheeler, like an adult three-wheeler. And from that, a non-descript person got down. And then, Along with him, another person was sitting who took a megaphone and started to say, "Maharaja, Diya, Rahe coming, like this." So we're not, not talking about the Indian rajas of now. We're talking about the ones before. This is an ancient example. So the one who had all this, you know, this this robust power in action, they just had to give a command and it would be executed. And then the sentry with his, you know, non-discreet dress standing there with a small little spear, you know, near the thing. The sentry has a role. the sentry has a dress. And then supposing, you know, the Vivek Chudamali says, you put them both to sleep and exchange their clothes. <laughs> you know, you exchange their clothes. Now what happens, you know, the, the king has now become sentry And even though he is screaming, he suppose this chained to the fence, like let's say, of the palace gates, and then he's screaming, no, 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 I am the king. Many people don't recognize, they've not even seen the king. Oh, you are the king? Oh, okay, what did you have to drink? They will ask. You know, nobody will believe. So, likewise, the king, you know, is a, is a relational concept in relation to something overrule, overlord, and have some say over. This is where it's called king. That's why I say Indian Maharajas, you cannot call them Maharajas anymore. They don't even own the tricycle on which they arrive. That too is rented, you know. So, king means it's a relational concept. King means you automatically assume kingdom, you assume army, you assume power. All these things you assume. So, century means you don't you assume other set of things, correct? Yeah. So, if the kingdom is gone from the king, the king is no longer called king, correct? Yeah. Similarly, this is the status of Ishwarathram. The overlord of the universe cannot lord over anything if the universe has, you know, is, is the universe has become one with him. There is nothing to love about. So then, you know, that is what I say, the two-fold definition. The essential means the swarupa which never changes, satyam, jnanam, Anantam. And then this one keeps, the variable one keeps changing, the two-fold definition. The variable one is called Tatastha. Tatastha means what? the, the, uh, you know, in relation to the universe, that which is manifest, this is what it is called. So these are the twofold definitions of, you know, Bhagavan. And the essential definition is what we are concerned with, because that happens to be the essential definition of I. So this is exactly like a mathematical equation. So on the Ishvara's side, you take away all the variable aspects associated with Ishvara. You don't say Ishvara is non-existent. Ishvara, we say, is a dependent reality, dependent upon that power. And on on this side, that all knowledge, all power which is manifest are the universe. And dependent upon also the universe itself. It's a dependent reality, not Ishvara Ishvara the Ishvara hood And on this side, you know, the Jiva hood is also a dependent reality. How is it a dependent reality? Because the body, you know, is dependent upon I, the mind is dependent upon I, everything is dependent upon I, everything is, I, everything is variable, and the variable things are finite, and the variable things keep aging, 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 aging. And then you know, the variable goes and this is what the first, yesterday we talked about this, the invariable stays and because it has not finished its life work, it goes into another, it finds another body to express its needs and desires. This is what is called punarjanma. This is how the whole thing happens. And from the 13th to the 18th chapter, the certain demeanors and disciplines I need to have in order to assimilate this knowledge. Because even though it's very clear, sometimes it takes time because I, I, I you know, set forth in motion a lot of blocks, resistances, fears, raga, dvesha. So the whole thing is about how to look at this body-mind sense conflicts and what to cultivate in my life. You find this in the 14th chapter, Gunatraya Vibhaga, the three gunas. And the 15th chapter, talking about resetting one's priorities, understanding the essential and the non-essential natures of Bhagavan, and, and seeing how to lead my life in accordance to that. And the 16th chapter is all about the demeanor and the disposition I should have. And the Bhagavad Gita teaches about two kinds of dispositions. Sadly and badly translated as godly and devilish dispositions. <laughs> <laughs> Daivi sampatti and asuri sampatti. Okay? Yeah. Since we don't have devil, we, we, we can say some kind of, you know, or demonic tendencies, whatever, we can say that. And it distinguishes between the two in such a way that one immediately recognizes both of, both of them in oneself. You know? The 17th chapter also is more extended uh, advice about the lifestyle. The Gita gets very specific about what to eat, what not to eat. Especially if you don't want to be tamasic, don't eat food that you, you cooked in your past life, even if it has been in the place. <laughs> when you eat fresh things, the mind is fresh. The, are, in, in the nutritive value is fresh, and it's freshly assimilated. The Gita is a big proponent of keeping the mind fresh. Because we need the mind fresh for this teaching. And the eighteenth chapter is also all about giving. You know, how, how should I give? If I should have a disposition that is giving in nature, where should I put my priorities? It's a very interesting chapter. Because one is born to serve, one is born to contribute not just to grab-grab-grab, Aja, you know, give me, give me, no. One is, one is never satisfied unless one contributes. This is the empirical reality. So where should I contribute? Where are my talents? How should I give? And to whom I should serve? All this is given very beautifully. Until Arjuna says, What? Matto moha?" My delusion has been destroyed. I have regained the memory of why I am standing in the battlefield. <laughs> and I will do whatever you say, I will do. I have no longer a will of my own. My will is your will. My will has become interfaced with your will. There is only one will, it is the cosmic will. It is the will you have for me. I don't have any more, my Radhat Veshas coming in the way. Whatever you say, I will do. You know? So that is the, that is very beautiful, it's a very beautiful statement. And that statement comes from this whole understanding and especially the chapter 13 to eighteen. Really they have something there. And chapter 13 I want to talk a little bit about. It's a beautiful chapter itself. Very important chapter. Of course, those who have heard me talk about Gita know that every chapter I call an important chapter. (laughs) But this is truly important. (laughs) So in this chapter, the the essential nature of Bhagavan and the variable nature of Bhagavan, Bhagavatta, is is alternative. Along with the essential nature of this Purusha, this the one who is indwelling this body mind sense complex, i.e., oneself, and the variable nature of the self. Because this is where the confusion lies. The confusion is because Bhagavan is both immanent and transcendental. Bhagavan is found in everything that has existence in the universe is non-separate from Bhagavan, we say that. Yet Bhagavan is separate from everything else. This can be very confusing. You know? Why is this so? And same thing on this side of the equation. This self who is very much calm and contented when maybe during sleep, you know? Non complaining And the rest of the time is complaining. There also is what is this bhyabichara contradiction. This also has to be kind of resolved. So there is a number of you know verses that point to this uh, the need for this resolution. And this resolution is attempted in the 13th chapter through, uh, the, through introducing two words very beautifully. Kshetra. Kshetra and Kshetrajnya. Kshetrajnya Kshetra means field. A field has many possibilities. Field means what can you evoke? Think about field. Basketball field, baseball field, where I play, where I win, and where I lose. Correct? Yeah. Field also, plowing, you know. The field where I saw what? Karma bija, and then it comes out as Karma That kind of field, the ploughing field. So many fields means you have so many images that come to mind. Kshetram, it's a neuter now. And if you look at the Vyutpatti, Vyutpatti means the grammatical derivation of the word Kshetra. I will explain more. <coughs> The grammatical derivation is, you know, kshata trayate iti kshetra. One meaning kshata means, you know, that which falls. (coughs) Trayate that which protects from further falling is called kshetra. What is that body? This body itself is a kshetra. And presumably it's a human being reading this, so the human body is a Kshetra because once you have achieved the human body, there is a potential for not potential. Okay, yeah, you know, don't take it automatically. A potential for not becoming an animal in the next life. Yeah, why potential? It is incumbent upon how many Vedanta classes you have attended. <laughs> So that I will have an audience. This is written. (laughs) So, the human. See, otherwise, you can just be a dog or a cat. All of us can just keep saying boof boof and meow and be happy. In fact, dogs and cats are happier. We know that. Because they don't have a complex. I wonder, dog. Dog never thinks (laughs) that. Cat also doesn't say my neighbor is very catty against me, and you know, today hey, I, I feel catatonic. No, no such thing. No such complexes. You know, I need a CAT scan. No such complexes. You know, cat is okay, dog is okay, doing what it is, being what it is. But here, the human body is a blessing and not a blessing at the same time. Very interesting. It's a blessing because I have freely. And finally, you know, I can can pursue this knowledge. It's not so much a blessing also because I'm relentlessly upset because of my own self-judgment, self-criticism. I'm never okay in my own book. Therefore, I look at the world with colored eyes and think that everybody thinks I'm not okay. Somebody wrote a book, I'm okay, you are okay. (laughs) That's true. If I am okay, everything is okay. This is the premise. But I myself don't feel okay, so nothing is okay. You know? And this is the complex. So in this human life, there is a slight window of opportunity in the form of a weak mokshatra. May there be moksha for me. And in that small desire, if I fan this desire, what happens is that the life's purpose You know, we have two purposes in life, one is the general essential purpose and the other one is the regular things that this body is meant to do, this mind is meant to do on the empirical level. But the ultimate and universal purpose is to free oneself of these complexes. This is called moksha. So, first meaning of kshetra, kshatavatrayate. Kshatavatrayate means what? That which prevents one from repeated falls into adho yonis. Adho yoni means, you know, birth canals that, you know, that don't have this free will. Tiryak yonaya. Tiryak means that it grows sideways. Like dog. Dog, you know, first it is this big, then it is this big, right? You don't, it doesn't grow straight. Creepers, plants, something that grow sideways. So therefore, this whole teaching is about this Kshetra and it is pointed out particularly that the Kshetra includes not just what I see outside but also this body. Kshataka Kshetra, 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 that's meaning. Ksharanath means what? <coughs> that which is finite, which decays. That which decays. You look around in this jagat, find me one thing that does not is not subject to decay. One is not able to do that. You know, everything that I encounter is finite, and this is the reason of sorrow and anxieties. Because each time I think this is the real thing, this is the real thing. Not even Coca Cola is the real thing. Okay. <laughs> even though it advertises as the real thing. It's not the real thing. Because the real thing is the one who is drinking the coca not the one who is the person. That is the only such chit, that is what we call real. Such means that which cannot be negated is real. So this is the whole thing. So therefore, the second meaning is what? Ksharana Kshetram. Everything that is finite, that is subject to time, Subject to the Vedris of time is called Kshetra. And there is one more meaning which I have already explained. Kshetra means Kshetra. Like even a field in which you sow things, you sow very energetically. And then what? You forget to water. <laughs> then what? Nothing comes, correct? And then you say, oh, why me? Why am I not getting anything? Yeah. Or you forgot what seed you bought. All the seeds are mixed up. You thought you were sowing mangoes, but instead papaya tree comes. <laughs> they look alike. But you know, if you eat a papaya thinking it's a mango, it's so a very sad event. Yeah. You may still love papaya, but if you confuse it for a mango, something is not right. So like this, then you say, how come I my mango and papaya came So this is kshetra eva Kshetram. So this is what is the meaning of the word kshetra, threefold meaning, each one so apt. First it is a field where the karma phala is, you know, is sewn in the form of karma bijan, Halam is fruit. Fruit you reap only after you sow the seeds. Second, this body itself is a Kshetra. Why? Because it protects me. It has a chance to protect me from falling into lower births. The fall into lower births is guided by the pressure and the immensity of the desires. The maintaining of the human birth in the next life is incumbent upon strong moksha icha. You can't fake it. You have to have that desire. And you cannot say, I came to one Vedanta class three years ago. So therefore, I can get crash into the next human life. No. You know, even though they say, even though in the Bhagavad Gita also it says, aanega, muktva karega, like in the last instance, you know. I am about to die. Two seconds are left. Krishna uh, died. <laughs> <laughs> then also it's enough, Bhagavan says. You can just, you will not be born again because you understood what you needed to do. And then when I say this to people, they say, oh, last minute of life, okay, coming more time. How do you know? <laughs> How do we know that the last minute has gone? How do we know that our last minute has not gone? Alive because Yama has gone to Starbucks to have a coffee (laughs) drink. How do we know that? We don't know that. So the Bhagavad Gita is very tricky. It will tell you things, but actually there is a very deep discipline behind it. Think of me at the last minute. Last minute means what? You know, it could be now, it could be now, it could be now, it could be now. So that means what? Sadas maranam. Always remember, always think about it. Always be with this desire to know Bhagavan as myself. Then one qualifies for a human birth. Human. So therefore it is called Kshatar Not necessarily, conditionally. It protects from having to have another birth, potentially incumbent upon your use of the free will to take Vedanta classes as often as you can. <laughs> I needed need to get it out of myself. <laughs> so, so, this is the first meaning. Second meaning is Ksharanath Kshetra. I already talked about that. Anything that you encounter is finite and that is also called Kshetra. And then what is kshetram Miva kshetram Third meaning, like even a field. And then I take you back to the very first verse of the Bhagavad Gita which underscores the importance of this chapter. What is the first verse? Mm-hmm. Narnakshetrepuru-shetremi mm-hmm. Samavetāgi Yudchavah Mamakāpānda Vāścayavah Himaturvata-sanjaya Dhritarashtra Vāścaya. Dhritarashtra's question. And there the word kshetra is used twice. And that same kshetra is talked about here expanded beautifully. So Dharma Kshetra because you have the ability and the potential to reap the fruits of dharma by sowing the seeds of dharma. Puru Kshetra, you know, which is again, you know, karma. Guru is all, another word for karma, which is also a karma Kshetra. And then, you know, and then this whole Gita takes on a very allegorical meaning, very beautiful. And what is the allegory? This, you know, this heart is itself a kshetra. And there is a big battle raging. Big battles In there. Inner Duryodhana is there, inner the Bhushyasana is there, all of them are there, inner the Shakuni is definitely there. <laughs> The pandavas are a really little hard to find, but they are also there. <laughs> padta
1: hai, are also there. Yeah. Pandavas
0: are there. Mm. They are of course outnumbered because they are only pa- you know pand. And the others are thousands of them. Even the army wise the pandavas were outnumbered. Pandu means white because he had that skin condition. What is that called? Vitiligo. Mm-hmm. Vitiligo is called. You know? And so he had that skin condition. That's why he was called Pandu. But if you take it metaphorically, you know, it is it is being on the right side of Dharma. Whereas the Kauravas are grey. You know? Yeah. Always looking for loopholes. Not practicing Dharma at all. Asurik in their tendencies. And so where are they? They're all here. And there is a battle going on between... and you can make so many things out of this... between what I want to do and what I have to do, on the most innocent level. What I want to do is play, what I have to do is not play, you know? (laughs) See, I I promised it would be be practical. What I want to do is to you know go and see a movie. What I have to do is write a report. What I want to do is take a mental health day off. What I have to do is go to work. Why? Because I have used up all the mental health days off. So this is the first level of battle between what I have to do and what I want to do. The second level of battle inside being waged is between dharma and adharma. And on the most abstract level, it is between the individual who has carved out, between the individual ahankara. Ahankara means I-ness, eye I-notion. Eye the I-notion has, has carved out for itself certain things. Mind, mind, mind. That's why that second line also I chanted. Dharmakshetra, purukshetra, samavetaha hai Very simple. In this dharmakshetra, which is the karmakshetra, two, battle, uh, two armies have assembled. One is the condoms, correct? And what is the other one? Huh? Not according to the verse. Maamaka. Dhritarashtra says, My people. Ah, this is the problem. That is how the inner Kshetra is cut up into two. You know, when the Ahankara goes on a conquest spree, like, a, you know, Ahankara thought it is Christopher Columbus and went everywhere and conquered everything in. Inside and said, Mine, mine, mine. Ahankara sees the world only in two ways. Mine, not yet not to not be not mine. Not yeah. Very <laughs> <laughs> So, Mahavika, even, even Dhritarashtra is, you know, he's touching, he's beating his chest. My people, where are my people? I want to know about my people. You know, he was playing with Arjuna on his lap, Dhritarashtra. He was playing with all the Pandavas when they were small. He loved all of them, but still mamakaha means something else, correct? Right? So here is the clue, when the lines of the armies are drawn in this way, mine and not mine, they are yet to be mine, I am going to conquer them, I am going to control them. There is a disastrous battle here. It spells disaster, it spells ruin. Something has to give. What is it? The ahankara That has to let go. And so the whole Shastra becomes, you know, what we saw, and what we have seen in another context, in the Metroponisham. The whole Shastra becomes a Upadesha of Bhagavan of to these inner armies. Between Dharma and Adharma, between mind, me, this ankara and you know, the total, between the jiva that has made itself into you know, strong by saying, this is mine, this is mine. You know what the problem is when the jiva makes itself, thinks it is becoming strong. The extent of all the things that are mine are very (coughs) beautiful. As soon as you say, this is mine, immediately there is a pinch. And what is the pinch? I think of all the things that are not mine. You know, all the things, this house is mine. Then you see the neighbouring house, oh, that is bigger, that is not mine, that house is also not mine even if I bought the whole, all the houses in this block, still the next block is not mine. This is how, when you say mine, and when you, when the ahankara is individuating itself, what is happening there, there is a crisis going on, because in the process of its individuation, as an agent, you know, of disaster mostly, <laughs> as an agent, what it is doing is confining itself to a small little box. And then it feels lonely, then it misses, you know, the Pandavas that are right there. And then instead of having such song, it has sad songs, that's <laughs> Doge. Why have you abandoned me? Why are you playing hide-and-seek? Who is playing hide-and-seek? This is called Transparence on Bhagavan, really. always at war. And this is where, this lesson in Vedanta, you know, brings peace to the Āhankara, which in the end says, karishye In the Bhagavad Gita it is talked about, you know, Lord Krishna is good at talking and he can talk for chapters at, a, at, at length, and the same teaching is given by Lord Dakshina Murthy sitting under the tree of samsara, in the sign language. From this only ASL has come. You know? This was the first sign, <laughs> yeah, before all the mudras. This was the first sign from the Adi Guru. This was the first sign. It is called Chin Mudra. Somebody said Chin Mudra? It has to be kept near the Chin. I said, no, it is Chin Mudra, Chin Mudra. And this, the pointing finger that says, it's all your fault, it's you, you, you. This is the Ankara. This is the body-mind-sense complex. The Ankara is identified completely with this body-mind-sense complex. Totally. And then we have this odd fellow called the Thumb, which has nothing to do with the rest of the fingers, which is just here, poor thing, looks funny looks fat and short, and the other ones are nice and slender. What is this thumb doing? And the four fingers make th- fun of this thumb. The thumb sits quietly, the thumb doesn't say a single word. Chup-chup it is today. And then what happens? You know? Then the teacher says, you who thought you were the extent of you was the body-mind-sense complex, you are actually this which is the cause of the universe. Because the thumb, without the thumb, the hand is useless. It cannot even pick up something. It cannot write. It cannot do anything. So, thumb gives the hand a purpose and existence. Just like Bhagavan populates the jadat with satta and spurti. And so, therefore, this in the teaching, this finger is told, You are that. This is tattva in sign language. Yeah. This is what it is. That is what Lord Dakshinamurti did. And the sages sitting under his feet, they had, they were old, old souls. Yeah. shishya guruhu yuva. And they, they had, had many lifetimes and they had gained emotional maturity because, you know, they had already imbibed the lessons of what were to be later on. 13th to 18th chapters of the Gita. They had imbibed those lessons and therefore just one sanketa was enough because the mind was ready. What does it tell us? That when the mind is ready, a sentence is enough. When the mind is not ready, you can have a, you know, an augha, a flood of the teachings, nothing will happen. (laughs) You can be flooded by the teachings and still be thirsty. So therefore it all comes back to Readying the mind for this teaching. You have to ready the mind in in a way that it becomes a strong receptacle where the knowledge will sit and abide. Otherwise, it's like that uh, the fellow who went to his neighbor's house, this bachelor, this was before the days of gas and uh, electric stoves. You know, they used to cook with uh, charcoal. He went to the neighboring lady. And said, Sister, can you please give me some life coals? I want to cook something. And she said, yes, what have you brought? And he said, Sunday paper, please put in it. <laughs> she said, are you out of your mind? No, no, it is Sunday paper, not every day, paper. it is sick. You know? Yeah. So if the mind is like the paper, what will happen is that, if the live coals of knowledge coming in, will just see us through. So the mind has to be ready. This is called the you know, before anything, before cooking anything, we have prep work, correct? Yeah. So we have to do this prep work. And this prep work is in the form of these verses, which we will come to learn Yeah. I mean, you've been attending now for some time, so now you don't get worried if the text is not started on the first day, or on the second day, or on the third day, or on the... <laughs> <laughs> Third days, little bit people started to <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the stress level was palatable. Maybe even online. I don't know. So, so you know by now that you know you, you will get everything, you will complete everything. So don't worry. So now the question comes, you know, give up hopes that we we'll start it today. <laughs> now we will relax and listen to the rest of the class. <laughs> so Anticipated here. I had to say this. So, so now the question. I'm going back to the battle. Remember the battle? Which one is that? Yeah, the one that is happening here. So now the question comes. Why does this individual want to separate itself from all that is good, all that is totally? The answer is what Maya, correct? And then, why is this Bhagavan, all knowledge, all power, whereas this Jiva is useless? How, how is this Brahman in the form of Bhagavan, how is this Satchitaranda, how is this Satchitaranda become Bhagavan? The answer is what? Seha. Maya. Okay. do? Questions are asked: How did the jiva become so miserable, Maya? How did bhagavan become so glorious, Maya? This is the intermediate, intermediate factor between jiva and Ishvara. Ya Ma Sa Maya. Ma means knowledge. Ya means she who, she who is all knowledge, is seen as. The power that gives this Satchidananda and Akara a name and form called Ishvara. Until then, it is just Satchidananda. Just like even a big wave in the ocean. So, that power comes from Maya. What is this Maya? It is not a parallel reality to Satchidananda. All there is is Satchidananda. It is what is called Palpita Shakti, a creative, imaginative power coming out of Sachidananda, upholding Satchitananda and taking it to a new height and calling it the Lord of the universe. And the same Maya, which is all knowledge for Ishvara, manifests for the Jiva as total ignorance. Self ignorance. How? That is what she is, Maya. But how can she do both? How can she be all knowledge in one instance and all, you know, what? Ignorance in in the next minute? That's why Adi Shankara, writing the Maya Panchakam, said, Adhatifa ghatana patiyasi maya. Patiyasi means, oh, you clever Maya, you make that which is impossible possible and that which is possible, you make it impossible. This is how it is. So, maya is, from the standpoint of the Ankara, because the Ankara is individuating itself, it gets the the cover of self ignorance, where Ishvara gets the brilliance and the status of all knowledge. But thankfully, maya also belongs to the same reality, as the kshetram, as the field, as this body, as this mind. It is also a dependent reality. It is not an independent reality. It is also mithya. Another word for maya is mithya. So it is dependent on sat. It is not independent of sat. And so this maya is this maya shakti, which covers one from one's own nature. The covering Shakti is called avarna, covering Shakti. And then it makes the one look like many. It is called the projective power, Vikshepa Shakti. avarna Shakti and Vikshepa Shakti. So I am covered by avarna. Therefore the Ankara is trying to grab, 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 make everything mine. And what does self-knowledge do? It takes away the Avarna. Vikshepa we don't have to bother, it is called Ishvara Srishti. Everything is this manifold universe, many bodies in the room, many minds in the room, we can enjoy them without coming to grief if I have no Avarna. If I have Avarna then everything is a problem. This is why the Avarna is removed. The Vikshepa you don't have to worry about. So therefore this maya is the one that, that is manifest as avidya, atma avidya and to gain this atma avidya we have to shore up the mind with some attitudes and with some values. So all in act really, really speaking I am already free. Really speaking, I don't. I should not even need this knowledge because this moksha is not away from me. Really speaking, I am not in samsara. I am not afflicted, I am not afraid, I am not unhappy. But because I have the sense that I am trapped, because I have the sense that I am useless, I have the sense that I have this self-criticism, therefore this as though knowledge removes this as though bondage. Really, it's all as though. And so this knowledge sticks in a mind that is prepared. And these twenty attitudes and values will help us to prepare the mind so that one does not identify with the kshetra. Kshetra means what? Body. Next meaning? Next meaning? I feel the, the place where you, you know. Place of action, place of sowing, these are, third meaning? Whatever you see. Huh? Whatever you see. Yeah, whatever, whatever is finite. Whatever you encounter which is finite. So that is these three meanings. Samsara is because I have identified with the Kshetra. I have identified with the body-mind-sense complex. I have identified with this mind, 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 my, mind. Everything is mine. flower mind. Whatever I see I want, it's mine. And then, I have identified with the field as this is my life, this is my life, I have to do these things, these are the agenda that I have to fulfill. These are the levels of identification. So identifying with the Kshetra is samsara, whereas identifying with the other one, who is that? Kshetra Jnana. Kshetrajna means the one who is the observer and the knower of the field. Kshetrajna is another word of Lord Krishna for describing Ishvara. Ishvara's name is Kshetrajna. And the jiva who is in the status of being an observer, the one who has gained this knowledge is also Kshetrajna. So it's better to be the knower of the field rather than the field itself. Because the field being finite leads to sorrow. So to come out of the grip of the avarana shakti, I have to identify as the kshetravayam. And these 20 attitudes and values that we are going to study is going to bring out the kshetravnyatvam in everyone. perhaps starting tomorrow. <laughs> Say imaginary. Do you mean that there is no such thing, and that's why it's imaginary, or because it generates, it makes uh, others imagine that such a, uh, things exist? No, no, no. It is because ultimately it is—it's a dependent reality. It's vidya, therefore, it is kalpita shakti. Yeah. What you imagine is not called maya. It is called prati bhāsikam. Yes. There is a different word for it, yeah. On non imagination. Other questions? Yes. In satchitananda.
1: Satchitananda yes.
0: The word chit is, is a little bit confusing for consciousness. How What you know what the chit Chit means when you say, when I ask you, are you here? You will say yes, correct? What is it that says yes? to say, I what says yes is the observer who says I am and I know I am. That is chit. That awareness is chit Yeah. That awareness, which we sometimes call consciousness, is chit. Anything else? Okay. Oh,